Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice of San Diego, and I am joined, as always, by fellow managing editor. Andrea Lopez Viafania. Scott is off this week. Andrea, what is up? Hey, Andy. How's it going? Good. Good to see you. You are at home. I am in the office. Scott is at home sick. He shared with the world earlier this week that he did catch uh, the COVID-19 virus that we have all been avoiding for nearly two years. Uh, he did not succeed in that effort uh, in through the entirety of the pandemic. Um, and so for that reason, I, I bring all that up to say that we are not going to speak today about his fantastic story on the community that was Frontier, that has now become the uh, collection of parking lots and big box retail stores and the sports arena. Uh, so we will hold on to that and we'll talk about that next week when he is back and in a position to help us go through it. Uh, so we're going to talk about other things. What? Uh, how are you doing? What's up? Uh, you know, just working from home. I also caught the COVIDs. <laughs> what? Uh, but I... feeling better now, so it's fine. Yes, and these were uh, separate incidences, so it is. It is just everywhere right now. It is just absolutely everywhere at the moment. I've I've never known more people in my life who had it at one time than I do right now. Is that true for you as well? Yeah, and it happened so fast. Like it was even before the holidays, like it, you know, I just started hearing of people and I was like, wow, you know, I started wearing masks everywhere, even in situations where I, I probably didn't have to. And I still got it. So coming up on the show this week, as we say, COVID is hitting everyone in the region. The Omicron surges upon us. That means schools, hospitals, firefighters, homeless services, most aspects of life are being hampered by the variant in some way. We're going to give you an overview of all the logistical issues it's presenting, uh, specifically a new story about homeless shelter outbreaks. Also this week, state lawmakers went back to work, and right away, San Diego's own assembly member, Lorena Gonzalez, announced her resignation. So what does that mean for local politics? We will go through the domino effect that that is having on local races and local officials. And finally, a new California law is forcing cities to cut down on waste in landfills. So... How is San Diego doing? That's all coming up. Stay with us. 
we wanted to say thanks to everyone who gave during our year-end fundraising campaign. 2022 is already wild and weird, but you helped us finish out 2021 in a really good place. A lot of listeners of this podcast donated, which is awesome. We loved reading your notes, and of course, we love our fans. If you missed the campaign, that's totally okay. You can still give and support this show specifically. You can do that at vosd.org slash podcast 2021, and you can write us a note when you give. Again, that's vosd.org slash podcast 2021. Thank you all. As you are listening to this podcast, you probably know at least a few people who have been exposed to COVID during this Omicron holiday surge or who are positive. And that is hitting public services and local government hard. SDSU pushed back the start of its semester and will begin online. Hospitals have an unprecedented number of staff out due to COVID. San Diego's police department has about 200 positives right now. And local firehouses are changing their schedules due to a lack of available firefighters. So, uh, Andrea, you you mentioned at the top that you tested positive. How do you feel? How's it been? Um, I'm feeling better. I mean, honestly, it was kind of crazy to me. Like, uh, you know, I was fully vaccinated, being pretty safe. I was actually just in the process of, you know, trying to schedule a booster appointment. And um, then I got sick and it was really scary at first. I think I just like all kinds of things were running through my mind, as I'm sure it does for a lot of people. Um, you know, but I spoke with my doctor and he mentions that if you're vaccinated, usually he's seen that people who are vaccinated and get COVID kind of have milder symptoms, um, which I guess was the case for me. But I'm feeling much better now. My, I feel like my voice still sounds a little weird, still have somewhat of a cough. But um, it's just insane to me. I think I, you know, remember when this all sort of started, you know, back in the day when life was normal. It just, it seems unbelievable how far you know, things have gone and everything that's happened since then. I remember just thinking like, oh, this is going to be over in a couple weeks <laughs> when it first started. No, and it has been many weeks, many, many weeks, uh, nearly the, what, like 100 weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, it's very familiar to the to back in March 2020 right now. In other ways, it's not really like that at all in that basically everything is still happening uh, there's a mask mandate that has been extended in California, and San Diego Unified School District imposed new requirements for its sports, you know, sporting events. Uh, SDSU is going to require vaccinations or negative tests to attend its sporting events. Those are new policies, but that's you know that's such a far cry. It's just categorically different than the sort of shutdown interventions we were dealing with two years ago. And so we're in this sort of uh, shaky middle period where cases are surging, but we're not really changing much of anything. Um, and from what I can, what I hear from public health officials, it seems like that's okay. So I don't, I don't hear much in the way of people demanding that we do something different. The part that is strange to me is the sort of lack of those regular public communications we were dealing with at the beginning mm -hmm. of the pandemic where people where we would have at the local level Nathan Fletcher and Dr. Wilma Wooten uh, at the national level back then it was former President Trump 
and Dr. Anthony Fauci, who would come in and kind of say, here's the goal, here's what we're doing, here's how it's going to work. No, obviously, our former president really muddled that message often. But in general, they had these daily events that were sort of communicating what the strategy was. And right now, it's sort of just radio silence in terms of what the strategy is. And we're more or less left to make our own decisions about what we want to do, how comfortable, how, you know, our own risk tolerance, that sort of thing. Schools are open. Schools are open right now. Schools resumed this week and um, the vast majority of them are, are are now operating. I think what Helix Charter School had to close because they had too many sick teachers. But for the most part, schools are open right now. I mean, I, we talked about this earlier and it, and it is super weird because I remember back in 2020, um, like all these years are just kind of blending in together. But I remember back in 2020 um, when St. Patrick's Day was coming up and, you know, we were hearing a lot about COVID and but there wasn't a shutdown yet. And I remember that weekend, I think like the bars were filled and people, you know, were like partying and it, it seemed like life was still going as normal. And then, you know, we had the the shutdown and, and all these businesses were closed and downtown was like dead. The freeways were dead. <laughs> you know, everything was so quiet. And now, yeah, it seems like life is just going on like normal, except you might get COVID. You might not. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's weird. And yeah, I agree with you. Like, I haven't heard too many people kind of saying, hey, we need to do something right. We need to change what we're doing. Um, I did. I was listening to an interview on NPR. Don't remember who it was, but um, this doctor was saying that, you know, we're getting to like herd immunity, but also we should be concerned with the increase of COVID cases. Um, but my, my thoughts were just, you know, by letting all these things kind of like stay open, we're also exposing people who we need to get through this pandemic, right? You have all these like hospital people sick, nurses are sick, teachers are getting sick, firefighters are getting sick. Like, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it's just seems weird. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was talking about that, the sort of lack of like a clearly articulated strategy for our present moment, mm -hmm. what I have gathered, what, it, you know, what, it, what it seems, the, the contours of a strategy that I see just based on what people are doing, since no one's really saying much of anything, is the time of preemptive, widespread, broad closures is over. And we're now in a period where we've come to accept that there are going to be forced specific closures based on how, when different businesses or services or uh, you know, schools get too many positives to operate, we'll shut those down during that period, but we're not gonna shut down everything to control cases. And you know, like, people could disagree, I'm not gonna pretend to have the answers about what we should do, but it seems like that's sort of the transition we've made, that we're not gonna just close down everything and say that we need to suppress all cases. What we're gonna do is accept that as cases proliferate, there's going to be forced closures from time to time, and we'll deal with those on a one-by-one -one basis, basically. So, like, schools are open. Your school might get too many cases to be open for a week, or your kid might not be able to go to school because he either gets it or gets exposed to it. But in general, schools will be open. And uh, like I said, I don't know if that's the right strategy, but I that from what I can see from the outside, that seems to be where we are right now.
Yeah, kind of like instead of closing, you know, all the restaurants or, you know, all the retail yeah. shops, whatever, you're going to have to close the ones that maybe don't even have waiters because they're <laughs> yeah. all sick. Yeah. But, you know, you'll still be able to, to keep the economy going because you have these other places that are open. I think my yeah. only, you know, I think what maybe some people might think about or consider is, you know, well, yeah, well, you can close a couple of restaurants down, but what happens when you have to close hospitals down hospitals <laughs> or you down have to or close school or schools? Or, yeah, schools, yeah. fire stations, you know, if schools are closed, but people are still working, then that's like a huge yeah, issue mean, the, for parents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, f- these fire stations right now have like rolling brownouts. It's it's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, well, in, in, the, in the meantime, the thing I'm keeping my eyes on is a couple different concert venues, which have concerts scheduled for tonight as we record this, Thursday, January 6th, and tomorrow, Friday, January 7th. There are concerts on their schedule, and I, I'm not, I don't have tickets to them, but I am keenly watching whether those concerts happen because, I don't know, that, that seems like the, the indicator to me whether, uh, whether we're sort of taking a, uh, every man for themselves strategy if the if the if these concerts are going on basically everything's going on as we talk about you know sort of dealing with the logistical hurdles that that this surge presents lisa halverset wrote a story this week um about what the surge is doing to homeless people um so basically an anticipated holiday surge anticipated by the UCSD researchers that monitor our wastewater said last month that a surge in cases was coming, that they could, you know, the sort of leading indicator suggested that it was coming. It did come. There was a, a number of cases popped up in these bridge shelters that the city has set up. And they didn't have the ability or wherewithal or resources to isolate those people in hotel rooms. And so those homeless residents are now isolating in sort of makeshift party tents that have been set up and they're trying to keep them uh, warm. There's a, this all happens in the middle of a cold snap uh, and sort of it, it's presenting, you know, it, it's never easy to to be homeless or to run a homeless shelter. But uh, boy, you know, you get 50 cases pop up in one day. Uh, it gets even harder to figure out where you can put those people and how you can keep everybody safe. Right. And especially, you know, when I was reading her her story, um, you were editing it late last night. But when I was reading her story this morning, I, you know, just thinking of like people just put in these like makeshift party tents that she mentioned when it is so freezing, you know, it's so cold. Um, yeah, it's really sad. And to know that like we were warned a month before, <laughs> it's just yeah. like we're always in these situations, it seems. <laughs> Yeah, and so the you know the county is increasing the amount of of rooms available for isolation at the same time recognizing this need. Thus far, it doesn't from what Lisa was able to report, it doesn't seem like many of these people have been able to get into those isolation rooms yet. So some something is falling apart along the lines, and I'm not exactly sure what it is because there are isolation resources available, um, but in in one way or another, this these 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 uh, outbreaks in in two different bridge shelters have sort of made the the collection of city leaders, county leaders, and homeless services providers have had to scramble to figure out how to get these people into places that they're not actively 
uh, infecting all of the other people that live in these these you know s- sort of environments where 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 this virus can travel so easily. Right. And they uh, remind me, Andy, they've been using these these hotel rooms for people, you know, who, who have COVID for a while now. Right. This is since. Yes. Like 2020. Since. Uh, yes. Yeah, since the since the onset of the pandemic, really. Yeah. And they had they had started to phase them out and now they're having to to bring them back in. And the part of the phase out seems to be that tourism has increased. You know, the, the economy is coming back. And so now that tourism is is picking up again the homeless or excuse me the hotel operators that used to have an incentive to join this county program because their rooms were otherwise going to be empty now feel like they have a good chance of filling those rooms with the people that they're used to filling them with as you know travelers um and so there's there's less of a um, a supply essentially there 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 are fewer hotel operators that are ready and willing to participate in this county operation and so i think that has has led to to a decrease in the uh, the you know the at, at the very least the ease of pro- providing these isolation hotel rooms yeah and again that kind of points to how different you know things are going down right now compared to 2020 maybe even 2021 when we yeah. didn't have a lot of tourism and that you know wasn't an issue <laughs> As we record this, there is a bit of breaking news related to our next topic that we wanted to talk about, um, which is the resignation of Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. So uh, Monday morning, Lorena Gonzalez took to the assembly floor and announced that she would be leaving her position effective immediately. And this summer, she would begin job in charge of the California Labor Federation. Um, we'll get back to that in a split second, but I do want to, to, to connect these two stories that, uh, that evening her and some of her colleagues held a farewell party, held a, a celebration for her resignation. Um, and now many of them are in isolation because, uh, there have been some positive tests from people who attended that party. Oh so no. We, <laughs> so we have, uh, a, some legislators who, you know, they, they were all vaccinated and, and boosted. Some of them were wearing masks, uh, but nonetheless, positive tests from attendees at that party, and now they are in in their own isolation situation. Uh, but Lorena Gonzalez has resigned from the assembly. Were you surprised to hear that, Andrea? Yeah and no, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I think that you know, obviously she's she's huge and so many people um, pay attention to to what she does and the laws that she passes. But I feel like once we kind of got an idea that, you know, redistricting might change that district, um, I just didn't see her staying, I guess. Well, it was going to be a temporary, even if she decided to stay and run again, she's quickly approaching her term limit situation so she was she, whether she found a new job now or in a few years uh this was not going to be a, a long the assembly was not going to be somewhere she could stay much longer anyway so it's it's not especially surprising that with her district changing that she decided to just uh you know pull the band-aid off and, and find the other job now yeah i feel like it's a good it's a good time just to do that anyways but yeah. i am interested in seeing 
you know, what's going to come out of that, who's going to run. I know we had some people announce that they were running already and she kind of had like a funny response to uh, David Alvarez. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I think that response reads differently now that uh, we know that she obviously had been negotiating her next job at the time that she that she told him that it was, you know, that she or joke whether she was whether however much she was joking versus serious at the time she was sort of uh chastising him for for jumping on her job um while she was recovering from illness we also know she was arranging her next job yeah that's true it's <laughs> <That is> funny <laughs> i didn't think yeah. about that <laughs> so you know a lot of this is fallout from this time a year ago when assemblywoman shirley weber became the secretary of state a job that Lorna gonzalez had had previously said she was going to uh, run for, we now know that she couldn't because Assemblywoman Shirley Weber was uh, appointed to that position instead. Um, but this is sort of the continued fallout from that. She she had already started to make plans for what her next job was going to be. Mm-hmm. That situation didn't work out. Now redistricting moves her into, you know, changes her district considerably. Um, and so she's looking for something else and, you know, California labor federation, that's it's leading the largest labor group in the state, largest, most powerful labor group in the state for somebody with her background, who's looking for, a, who was previously looking for a statewide position, who was quickly approaching her term limit. It's a pretty tidy landing place, I think. Yeah, makes sense. So yeah, so we have some familiar faces running for Assembly District 80. Uh, one of them is Georgette Gomez. Obviously, people in San Diego are familiar with her. Um, she's our former council president. And then she also had an unsuccessful uh, run for Congress. And uh, yeah. David Alvarez, who is also familiar to everyone here in San Diego, former council member, represented uh, District 8, Barrio Logan, San Ysidro area. And, um, you know, he made a run for mayor as well. And I think he was kind of doing his own thing right now with uh, consulting. Yeah, he was doing consult. Yeah, government yeah. consulting work. Yeah. yeah. And some work with like COVID outreach, education stuff for Latino community. So that'll be yeah. interesting. I don't know of anyone else running. Do you? Uh, those are the only two I, I, I know who, that have announced so far, or at least the, that are high profile. They're, the, there's all, often lower profile candidates that I don't want to erase, but uh, I'm not familiar with them right now if they have already announced an intention to do so. But what, one thing that's very interesting about about uh, what seems to be a race between David Alvarez and Georgia Gomez is they were quite close allies through... Uh, most of their political careers. Um, so David Alvarez represented District 8. That's the southern portion, uh, the heavily Latino southern portion of the city of San Diego, including Barrio Logan, where he grew up. Um, I would say the defining issue in his district during his time in office was the Barrio Logan Community Plan, which just passed. We've talked about that on recent episodes, basically an attempt to disentangle the uh, the unhealthy uh, arrangement of behaviors in in Barrio Logan through land use between the the shipyards and industrial ac- uh, activity right next to residential activity, and while he was representing District Eight and trying to push that plan through, the number one advocate outside of government, the the activist who was most associated with pushing that plan forward at the Environmental Health Coalition, was Georgette Gomez, uh, and. 
it was the two of them in 2012 and 2013, 2013 especially, who were who were really making the case for the community focused plan to to create a buffer between the residential areas and the shipyards. Alvarez was the representative for the area. Georgia Gomez was a you know a, a very high profile spokesperson for the Environmental Health Coalition. They worked well together. They they were very friendly with one another. Um, and then after that. After that was tossed out a few years later, she ran for office in District 9. That's the also heavily Latino or, or uh, plurality Latino district um, in the covering the City Heights area and, and, and college area. And she won and was friendly with David Alvarez on the city council. And uh, so it's interesting that they will be running against each other now. They they had a had a good relationship as as David Alvarez left office. For instance, we held a uh, Voice of San Diego live podcast event in Barrio Logan that Georgia Gomez attended, and uh, we have some some audio footage somewhere of 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 uh, David Alvarez and Georgette Gomez uh, a couple drinks in, uh, making some news, delivering delivering some chisme to uh to to the attendees uh that was um it was it was pretty interesting but so i you know i i've just always known them as 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 pretty close allies and friends um so that'll make for an interesting race when they they square off against each other oh yeah oh we gotta we gotta find that cheese make clip yeah the other the other thing to look at and i don't know the exact numbers but um the district nine doesn't I don't think it overwhelmingly overlaps with the uh, the new 80th assembly district meaning Georgette Gomez ran for office there in district 9 once I don't know how many voters who voted for her previously are going to be in the new district voting in 2020 or later this year basically um whereas David Alvarez who ran twice in district 8 and won twice in District 8. My understanding is that that district overlaps quite a bit with Assembly District 80. So a lot of the people who voted for him two separate times um, are going to have an opportunity to vote for him again, uh, which isn't, you know, that doesn't guarantee anything. You can introduce yourself to more voters. You can run a campaign. That's what campaigns are for, to go out and speak to voters. And uh, But I do think that David Alvarez starts with more of a leg up than people might recognize just by virtue of being elected two separate times by i i believe a larger percentage of of uh overlapping voters than georgette gomez was the one time she won an election yeah that's a good point well also and also you know his uh, david david you know his um former staffer who run who ran in district eight uh after him vivian moreno continues to be the representative for that district and maintained his chief of staff they, they had built sort of a uh, a political machine in district eight um and they they remain close as far as i understand and so it's it, in some ways it's not just that david alvarez has run and won twice in a heavily overlapping district it's the the new group of people who he worked with and who have continued to work for his successor have won three consecutive elections in that area. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to keep watching as it unfolds.
And a new state law went into effect at the start of this year. It requires cities to cut the amount of food waste that ends up in landfills. Now, requires is a little bit of, of a term of art right now because while that requirement went into effect at the start of this year, the state won't actually do anything to punish cities for failure to comply for two more years. Um, but in general, all the moldy takeout and banana peels that turns into methane gas that ends up in the atmosphere, you can't put that in the trash anymore, or at least you're not supposed to. So cities across the state are scrambling to try to comply. And our environment reporter, Mackenzie Elmer, checked in to see how San Diego is doing. And Andrea, what do we know? How are they doing? Um, Not so great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, I, I you know, Mackenzie wrote that obviously the, the law was passed in 2016. We are 2022 and um, still seems like they haven't quite figured it out yet. There are some cities she mentioned that might have a, you know, leg up to some other ones. But uh, this is like super fascinating to me. I love having Mackenzie talk trash to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. This is like one of the times where like a policy change at the state or city level really like reaches down past the wonks and into normal people. They're going San Diego city residents at some point once the city of San Diego figures out how it wants to do this are going to have to pr change the way they dispose of their garbage. There's going to be a, a new collection bin that they're going to have to put their food waste in. Businesses as well, grocery stores, restaurants, if you typically throw away food that all, that ends up in the landfill, you're going to have to put that into another receptacle, and that's going to entail some sort of cost, presumably, that the city's going to have to tack on to your existing uh, trash refuse collection services. Uh, and the city of San Diego hasn't figured it out. Some other cities are doing a better job. Carlsbad and Encinitas have already figured out at least like how they're going to raise rates and the way they're going to do it to try to line up the incentives the way they want. Basically, they want you to comply as much as possible. And so they are, I think it was in Carlsbad, they're raising the cost of trash, but actually lowering the cost of refuse collection. And you'll throw your food waste in with, uh, with like, lawn clippings and that sort of thing and they're going to low the lower the cost of that collection to try to incentivize you to do more of that and to put less money less uh, trash into the landfills so you know I don't, I don't know the city of san diego seems like it it which is m by far the largest city in the county seems like it hasn't really gotten going yet on how it's going to handle all this but sooner or later we're going to have essentially a new trash collection service yeah, I feel like trash is super, um, you know, on people's minds right now with everything going on. I mean, uh, so many people, businesses are dealing with things that, you know, they probably haven't dealt with before and having to, um, you know, t drive their own trash to the Hotel Mesa landfill because of the um, strike from workers at Republic Services. And so it just it just seems super timely that, you know, this is kind of unfolding and we're kind of keeping an eye on this because... Yeah, it's a hot mess. You can find that story and all of Mackenzie's work in her newsletter, The Environment Report. Uh, get it at vosd.org slash environment. 
All right, guys, uh, that is it for the Voice of San Diego podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Keep up with all our stories this year with The Morning Report, our most popular newsletter. Get it at vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Andrea Lopez Villafana, managing editor. Andrew Keats is also a managing editor. This show was produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.